Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer. Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment. Like what you hear? Have something to add? Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. Welcome to Life on Pause. For this month's Life on Pause recording, we read Sulika Jaud's memoir, Between Two Kingdoms. We discuss and reflect on her experience as a young adult cancer patient and her life afterwards. Hope you enjoy the conversation inspired by this excellent book. First, let me get with my diagnosis. I'm Diana. I was diagnosed when I was 19 with lymphoma. And the first thing I want to talk about is what were your guys' uh, feelings or thoughts when you were reading the book? Because for me, it was kind of like difficult at times when I was reading it because I was, when I was diagnosed, it was kind of similar to her age. So I was, I, I felt in a way that I was like her sitting there. Like it reminded me of the moment I was being diagnosed. It was kind of painful. If I'm being honest. It was like a little bit difficult to read. Diana, I can agree with you um, in that aspect. There were definitely moments that were difficult because it reminded you so much of your own life. But there was also moments that really cracked me up, like when she talked specifically about everyone coming out of the woodworks. I know we've talked a lot about that in this group. So there was all around relatable moments, happy, sad, uh, scary. I could definitely relate to. I'm Lexi, also diagnosed with lymphoma at 19, 22, almost 23 now, and approaching three years of remission. Hi, I'm Abby, and I was diagnosed with um, ALL when I was 22. And I agree with you, Diana, that it was kind of hard to read sometimes. I usually, if I'm reading, it's like for pleasure. So it'll be like, you know, about not something related to my real life at all. Like I read like fantasy and sci-fi and there's like aliens and dragons and stuff. And it's not usually like something that hits home on like some of the harder parts of like my life. So I can usually read a book really fast, but I had to like read like little chunks at a time. I'm Lauren. I was um, diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Tomorrow is my six-month cancer-free anniversary. And I agree with Abby. I had to read it in parts. There were certain parts that really hit, you know, that were harder for me. And it was surprising to me that they weren't necessarily about the um, the writer's journey, but more about the impact that it had on the writer's family and partner, things like that. Those really touched me because it brought me right back to those particular times. So I had a difficult, I had difficult days while reading because again, like Abby, I read a lot of fiction and that takes me out of myself. And this was like, okay, we're back. We're, we're back on the, like the cancer journey. And I, I think we all know our own cancer journeys uh, keeps us pretty busy. Hi, I'm Emily. I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I was 23. I'm 25 now. For me personally, I just, it's just like with reading by itself. Like I just have, no matter what book it is, I just have a really short attention span when it comes to books. So reading something like this personally for me was a little bit better because it made me want to keep reading and finding out like what happens next. I don't, I don't, it's just something with me, like with other books, like I don't have that same, I don't know, passion about a book but I liked it a lot. I give it a 10 out of 10. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Casey. I was also diagnosed with leukemia at age 22. 
interesting to hear I, I, some of the comments. I agree. It was, it was borderline too relatable at times, but I will say that I it was actually the, the opposite for me. I'm normally a very slow reader, and this was an instance where I read very, very fast, and it takes me like months to get through a book. So it was unusual to finish a book within, within a week or so. And I guess the part that, that stood out to me that maybe was why I read so quickly is she references there's really no representations, no accurate representations of young adults with cancer in, in media. And so maybe I just didn't realize that that was something I was really craving. And so when I felt like this was kind of the first real, felt like a real authentic representation, I, I just moved through it very quickly, which is abnormal for me. My name is Brianna. I was diagnosed with Burkett's lymphoma when I was 20 years old. I sort of just joined this group, so I didn't know about the book. I may have missed an email. I've had like a crazy month, but just like hearing from what all of you have to say, I definitely am going to check it out. And I kind of just what was said about how there's no accurate representation of young adults within media, like that's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I think that it's something we probably all could have definitely benefited from having while we were going through this experience because it can be so isolating. So I'm definitely looking forward to checking that book out. My name is Brady Lucas. I was diagnosed with leukemia at age eight and then relapsed at age 14. Um, something that stood out for me is just the ongoing process of everything that's going on in the book. It's not just at the diagnosis, not just at the remission mark. It's an ongoing process. And I think that's something as someone that's dealing with the later effects of treatment, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically, um, a lot of what she had to say made me realize there's a lot of areas that I still need to address psychologically. So it was kind of a, a good reminder of where I still have yet to accomplish. Hi, I'm Haley. I'm Casey's girlfriend. So even though I haven't had my own cancer journey, I've definitely shared Casey's at least to some extent. And I think while I have been there with Casey since his diagnosis and throughout every step of the way, it definitely just made me appreciate that even though it's a tough journey for loved ones and caretakers, it's a hundred times tougher um, for those going through it. And I think I knew that before, but just kind of hearing different perspective, but a very similar one just really made me appreciate that so much more and appreciate each individual journey that everyone's going through and, you know, the mental toll that it also takes as well as obviously a physical one. Hi, I'm Amy. Um, I'm a nurse coordinator in pediatric oncology. So I know a couple of you. Um, and I just wanted to share a little bit about what I liked about the book. Um, I think, you know, doing pediatrics, we certainly have more younger children than we do young adults, certainly. And I think we focus so much on, you know, the cure and trying to fix the current issue, but don't always think about what happens afterwards. And so I think what I really thought about in the book is how much we really need to help teens and young adults and, you know, kids in general think about the transition to, you know, the world of the well and how you get back into that. And I don't think we always recognize how difficult that is sometimes. So I really liked her perspective on that part of her transition into that phase of her life of going from being sick to how do I, how do I now live in this world of being well when my perspective just looks different from other people my age? When I was reading the book, she said there's always before Salika, a sick Salika, and then an after recovered Salika. 
I was thinking about it recently. I'm like, it it is. I mean, I I do think about myself and sometimes it feels like a whole different person. Like it's been a whole different movie or something. And I'm kind of adjusting to finding who this other person is. Do you guys think that's true with everybody else? I agree in that aspect. There's definitely a before cancer, Lexi, and after cancer. I actually like refer to periods of my life as like, oh, that's Lexi BC before cancer. And because I am a whole different person after the fact, because up until that moment, you have a different mentality about life. And then after your diagnosis, you just kind of become, you're the same person, but you have grown so much uh, more mentally. So I actually really did relate to that part of the book when she was talking about that. I feel like I would go even further and say there's an even further out person that you are after cancer. Because I think there's a, those initial years that right after diagnosis where you still have some worries and, you know, relapse and not that that ever goes away. But I think the further you get out, the least you worry about the relapse, but also you start worrying about other things like having kids and long-term relationships and marriage and, you know, how it affected your parents during the treatment and how it affected your caregivers. And I think it affects you in a different way than before, after, because you have the time to think about who else it affect other than just yourself. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely relate to the idea of, I like that BC, BC Lauren and all of that. So because I know something that I really like that I think many of us can relate is the fact that, you know, Salika was living her life and was doing things and was kind of like, I think at one point I talked about, you know, the goal was this, like, I haven't even done all the things that I wanted to do. And I felt that with the diagnosis, it's like, I have all these things I want to do. And I've been waiting for the, all these things and I, I want to do this. And I think that before cancer, Lauren was definitely a different person than current. Lauren, who's who's been through that, and I think that as time goes by, it becomes now the now I've experienced it. I know what that's like, and we're praying for no relapses or anything like that. But I, I hope the worry gets less. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll I'll, uh, I'll hope for that, Brady. I'll, I'll remember you saying that. Uh, the hope gets <laughs> the hope there, and the worry gets less as time goes on. But yeah, I think going through this experience really put, makes you put certain things into perspective. And makes you really aware of things that you weren't aware of before to kind of force to face some of this. I think I described it as I feel like this whole experience aged me about 10 years in a year. I think I just got a jump start for all of that. I do feel like I'm a different person after the fact, but I feel like the hard part is that you don't want other people to see, at least in my case, I feel like you don't want people to see like oh, she's not as competent as she was or something like that. Just because like in my case, like neurology was like a big part of it. So like, you don't want people to see like, not that like, I don't feel that I am, but like, I don't want people to think, oh, she's not a competent person anymore or stuff like that. I like relate and agree to so many of the things that have been said. For me, this is making me remember one part of my treatment where I think in the beginning of my diagnosis, my family, my mom, especially, she really struggled to accept that I had cancer. Um, like she wouldn't even let me say it. She didn't want anyone to really know. Um, and for her, how my identity would change throughout it, I think was really difficult. But there was, 
you know, so it was kind of like this denial phase. And then there was one time when I was really sick and I like got up and looked in the mirror and I had just like, you know, I had no hair, I had no eyelashes. My face was just like double the size it was because of the steroids. Um, and I, I was recognizing the fact that I didn't remember what it felt like to be healthy. And I didn't remember what it felt like to look like myself or who I was. And in that moment for me, while it was difficult, I almost felt like it was a restart. Like I was never going to be the person I was prior to that moment. But I also am going to grow into someone who is much more understanding um, and less ignorant to the world of cancer. And I think I totally agree with what Brady's saying. Those first few months and even years right after diagnosis, it really is like, it's far different than sort of after that. Because I think for a while, at least I was trying to figure out who I was after this reset. And I think that sometimes I still grieve the person that I was prior to my cancer. I still get like incredibly upset if because my hair doesn't look like how it used to or little things like that. So I, I, I mean, I personally, I think for me, that's kind of a challenge, like looking back on who I was. Um, I think that a lot of like, um, I may have been a bit happier before that because I've been exposed to like the world of cancer. And you know that there's like this darkness that a lot of people don't even really understand. So that's kind of my thought on it. Do you guys feel like there's a lot of depression after you're done? She talked a lot about being depressed afterwards. Like, I should be happy about it, but I'm actually sad. I actually, this weekend, I actually had a kind of depressed moment because I haven't been out that much because of the pandemic. And the only people I've interacted the most is my family and friends that were with me when I was going through treatment. And I went with my mom to translate some things and somebody asked, and what do you do? And for me, for other people, it might be like, well, I do this, or it's an easy question. But even the question of what do you do was difficult because I don't want people to know I'm a recovery cancer patient. Like it's kind of difficult to just say, hey, I'm recovering or just say, hey, I'm unemployed and I'm 22. Like I, none of those seem appealing to me to say, do you guys have or had that moment where you've been, I don't know what to say to even the simplest of questions. I was diagnosed when I was 16. So now I'm 20, about to be 24. So it's been like a long time, but I still do find myself sometimes like even when people do ask me like what happened to me or like, you know, people I went to school with a long time ago and if I see them, I run into them. They're like, oh, you're like really different. And sometimes it makes me sad because I realize like how much of my teenage years I really didn't get to enjoy because I had to spend it like recovering and and doing things when everybody else around me was like doing whatever they wanted to and I didn't have the chance to do that so there was times where it made me like really sad or made me really angry and now it's like sometimes it's even more difficult I can say because I live really far away from my family and I live you know alone and it, it sometimes it just gets hard just being alone and thinking about like how I felt before and how I feel now. I, especially during maintenance, had the same question, uh, Diana, like where people would say, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I'm not doing anything. And it's like such a it's hard to just like drop a bomb on someone you don't know, like, oh, like, I spent the last year like trying not to die. So 
I always like struggled with that question. And even now, like I'm back in school and because it's all been online, it like, it doesn't even feel totally real. Like, because when I finished all my treatment was like right when COVID started, I feel like it just added like an, an extra weird year. So I don't, this might tie in a little bit with that. I've gotten to the point where surprisingly enough, I look enough like I did when I first, before I was even diagnosed. So I kind of have the option now of sharing that I had cancer and it's weird because when I went back to work, I still had short, I was, it was very, very buzzed. And I had a thing with, I'm not going to wear a wig. I'm going to be me. I'm lazy. So I'm not going to deal with that in the morning. I was just kind of like that. And now it seems like people who I do see, so people that kind of know that I had it are really weird around me until I bring it up. And then they jump on me with questions. So they're like waiting for me to say something about cancer. And then it's, oh yeah. I'm like, whoa, they're uncomfortable bringing it up, but they're not uncomfortable with bombarding me with questions saying, so are you good now? Is the question I hear. And I swear, I'm so tired of that question. (laughs) Like, what does that mean? Anyway. I've been asked that question at least five times in the last month. And I'm, you know what? No, I'm not (laughs) to keep asking me that question. But the idea of choosing to share or, and it's like, oh, well, how was it? Well, how do you think? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It's just the uncomfortable of people that want to talk about it. Now that I can see different people now, I can see certain family members now. It's just very different. And it's, kind of alienating to be honest because there's just this barrier now where people are like I still think that people sometimes think they can get cancer by being like hugs and other things like that and I'm just like no (laughs) I feel like there's kind of like two parts to this question sort of addressing depression at the end of your treatment and then also sort of like how do you transition into going from like fighting cancer being your, your full-time occupation to like back to sort of some normalcy. I think I think it's incredibly normal and I didn't know that and that was something that wasn't talked about to me until I experienced it at the end of treatment. A lot of people get depression because they exactly what you're saying like they don't know what to do like this has been their whole life has revolved around this one thing and now it's coming to an end and for me like I felt so much guilt. I was like swamped not only with like my own depressed feelings, but then survivor's guilt was like really hard for me. And then, you know, you wonder why you're so sad. And then they're like, you see other people who are fighting around you who have a better attitude than you do. And you're like, well, why aren't they doing as well as I am? And I'm leaving them behind. Like, why do I get to do that? Like all these different questions, you could have a whole podcast just on that. But like just know that like it is completely normal i'd like talked to my oncologist and she said that she sees it all the time in her patients aside from that for me it took me a really long time again i kind of struggle with like my mom being really in denial of my diagnosis and not wanting people to know so i had an extra element of like do i tell people a lot of people don't even know what happened i just look different now um so i just said that for probably about three quarters of a year when I saw people and they're like, where were you? Like someone said to me, you were on sabbatical, right? I was like, oh, that's something to call it. <laughs> um, but it's, 
I just said I was I was having health complications. I had to take the semester off for my health. Um, and now, you know, I'm I'm back to doing uh, back to school again. I because I was dealing with so many mentally overcoming so much. Like I just tried to make make myself as busy as possible. And I think that was also part of the reason that people weren't like, oh, like, are you okay now? Like, what really happened? They're just like, oh, she's doing a million things. Like, she's fine. But like, really, mentally, I had a lot to recover. Um, and I think it's really interesting to hear how everyone transitions through that time differently. Yeah, I'm thinking about um, how each of you have named, like, not each of you, but many of you have named um, family members or friends. And uh, kind of going back to the book a little bit, one of the things that stood out for me was her relationship with Will. Um, you know, relationships when you're in your early 20s are not necessarily permanent, but as a reader, I found myself really rooting for them as a couple. And then they don't have like the Hollywood movie ending, right? I'm curious for other people, like on, on the topic of relationships changing or how um, she covered that topic, what um, what were similar or different from your own experience? I do want to add that that part did break me. Like I was like, I, I don't know, it, it hurt. Like for me, it, it wasn't like I had a significant other, but I did have my two best friends that were with me the entire time since I was diagnosed until they weren't there until the end. And the thing is we're in our twenties, things are changing. They started living their lives more. There was a pandemic. So our relationship changed and they were like my bet. They're my best friends. Still. I love them a lot because they were there with me when I needed them a lot. But then recently they haven't been there anymore because they're doing their own things and I'm kind of still figuring out who I am. And I don't know, along the way, we kind of didn't find what to talk about anymore. So I did realize that sometimes relationships do change. And I think that's something I have been struggling for a bit because now I'm kind of like figuring who I am and also not being able to talk to the people I used to be able to talk about everything. So it kind of does hurt. I don't know if you guys have had that similar experience where things just change. I mean, you become different people. Cancer changes you and you're not the same. One of the hardest parts of the books for me was when uh, she told Will um, that she, you know, her diagnosis and um, because it brought me back to basically the worst day of my life is when I had to tell my now husband and my family that I was diagnosed because I because the doctor's office called and told me what was going on. And the relationship part was definitely the part in the book that, you know, the relationships and, and that kind of thing were the ones that touched me the most. There was a scene, I think I remember where um, her mother was trained to give her um, injections and kind of like the relationship and noticing that she was weird, like and mentioning, I think at the one point she gave her, gave her father one of the gifts that a friend of her gave her and like, those type of relationships there, you know, were the points that really touched me because in my mind, I kept putting my own, during treatment, my own kind of feelings aside a lot of the time because I am a people pleaser. I'm aware of this. I'm working on it, but um, I work in a nonprofit field helping others. This is kind of my life. And the idea of so much sadness and so much, you know, all of that around me 
And I was planning, actually, many you know this, I was planning a wedding when I was diagnosed. So it was really, it, it, it ended up with a lot of complicated things and a lot of things that my husband and I had to talk about that we may or may not been prepared to talk about otherwise. Talking about the future, talking about children, talking about, you know, what happens if, dot, dot, dot. Those type of conversations that we probably wouldn't have had till much later or those type of things. So I think it kind of, in a way, and I noticed it as well in the book, it really like made things serious and excelled really fast just because of time. You guys talked about excelling things too fast. I want to say, I don't know for women, did you guys start thinking about what if I have kids when she was talking about infertility, things like that? Isn't it kind of weird to start thinking about kids when you're only in your 20s or things like that? I know for me, it's it's been interesting. Like when I was first diagnosed and like starting chemo, I wasn't like that upset about the fertility thing. I was just like, okay, whatever. Like I have so many other things to worry about. But now that I'm not getting chemo anymore, that's like on my mind a lot more. Like I would say like more than relapse even is just like that. I don't know what the situation is with that or like how it's going to unfold or anything. And like, I think she kind of like Salika was worried about it like a lot sooner than I was, which is it's like interesting because I think what you were saying, Diana, is like when I was diagnosed, I was like, oh, whatever. Like, it's not like I had never thought about having kids, but it wasn't like a priority at that time or anything. So it, I didn't. It like didn't upset me really in the beginning of treatment compared to like now it's something that's like I have to work through. But I feel it's kind of weird to think about it when you're in your 20s. Like it's things that you really shouldn't think about in your 20s. We have to worry about when the doctors say, oh, you might not be able to have kids. And like you do go through that thought that I haven't really thought if I want kids or I don't know what my future is telling me or like that's so just having that conversation or thinking about it with yourself is kind of weird. I think sometimes like there's certain things that you really wouldn't think about. It does make you think, and maybe you still keep thinking like you said now. I think that was one of the things that I was really impressed about by her is that she recognized pretty quick, even in the midst of how poorly she felt and how intense things were that they did not really discuss with her preserving her fertility. And how she was willing to say, this is really important to me. And while I don't have any plans right now, or I am young and I'm not thinking about this right now, I know this is something that's going to be important to me down the road. So I, I was really impressed with her ability to kind of even think about that at that time. And it made me really think about how important that is, is to, to make sure we do give patients and families the opportunities to discuss that, to talk about it. And, you know, like Abby said, a lot of times, you know, these I mean, kids are, you know, they're teenagers and they're certainly not thinking about being parents. I mean, they might be 15, 16 years old and they're talking about, you know, thinking about prom, certainly not, you know, being parents, but it is an important thing because our goal is for them to recover. And, you know, like Abby said, you know, now I have a chance I can think about this and it is important. So, yeah, I just give her a lot of credit for pursuing that and, um, and making it aware to her medical providers that this is important to me. And I, I want to address this before we start. I really like that part because um, I can, you know, relate to it because when I was diagnosed, I was so young and I was 16 and they never really asked me that. 
they could have talked to my mom about it, but I think my mom was so worried about so many other things. She didn't want to come up to me and just ask me like, hey, do you want to do something about thinking about having kids in the future? And now that I've been in remission for so long and now that it's like long term, I, you know, finally what had an answer that they told me like I will struggle with fertility. So it's like I never thought about it back then and then now it's like I have to face it because I am turning 24 and it's like you know hard to just think that I never thought about it back then and I felt like if I would have had the chance I probably would have like fought for it like she did. I definitely relate to a lot of people have said for me my protocol um like had built into it like very important to have this procedure done so that fertility is not an issue beforehand or in future but it took me so long to get diagnosed that there was absolutely no opportunity for that to happen, um, that procedure to happen. And so I think for me, like now I am done with, you know, I've been done with treatment for years now and it is still like, it's just a glooming dark cloud that I think always follows me. And it's funny because I literally had this conversation with my mom yesterday I still feel even though it'll be three years next month, even though it's been three years, I still feel like I'm mentally healing from the entire process and I'm not at the place where I could handle finding out my fertility has been affected. But it's also kind of what was said before about everything moving faster. Like, you know, now I've been in my first relationship since getting sick for a year And this is something, the thought of like fertility issues is something that affects me so much that I've actually had conversations that I probably would have never had within the first year relationship with someone where I like, I'm talking about these concerns that I'm having. And I think, thankfully, the person I am dating was like, so understanding was like, you know, that is ever an issue, like, we'll get through it. And that was like, so healing for me to hear regarding fertility, like just the fact that he said that I was like, well, even if it's not him, maybe there's going to be another person who is going to be the same way, you know, because like I said, that dark cloud of just like, it's somehow going beyond affecting the diagnosis, going on beyond, beyond impacting my family at the time. And now the pe- people I'm going to love in the future, like that is something that really I struggle with. And so I totally relate to what everyone is saying about it. Can I ask you guys, the guys, do you guys go through the same thing as women do? Do you guys struggle with that? What are your thoughts on that? I can go. Um, so I was diagnosed originally at eight years old. Obviously, the conversation you're not really going to have with an eight-year-old. I relapsed when I was 14. The conversation was there, but at 14 years old, is a male really going to talk about having kids? Probably not. Obviously, there's circumstances where that may change. But what Bree said is something that hits me really hard now. So I did get my fertility checked. I'll never be able to have kids unless a miracle happens, which, you know, a miracle could still happen. But for me, it's, it's the whole idea that within the first two or three months of our, of my relationship with my fiance, we had to have that conversation and it was very upfront. It was honest. I said, you know, I don't want to scare you away, but this is what's, the future if we are to be together. And luckily she was, you know, very willing to accept it. And, you know, is amazing. But 
I think guys struggle with it just as much as women do. And I obviously don't want to assume, but I think guys worry about it down the road a lot, especially for someone like myself who would always wanted to be a father. I, I think I've always wanted to be a dad from, you know, a very young age and have kids and allow them to grow up and things like that. So I think that's one of those long-term effects that aren't said often that psychologically destroys me. You know, it has nothing to do with anything that I did, but it definitely hurts. But obviously it's a coping mechanism that there's other options. And we're very fortunate in technology and just health today that there are increasingly options for people that, you know, can't have kids. Yeah, I would just say this is one of the areas I feel luckier in um, because I did I did have the opportunity to bank. So just feel very fortunate that it's not like a cloud that has to loom over me. And so it's interesting because I always hear it's like a stereotype that those conversations don't happen. You know, there's they say doctors historically haven't been great about having those conversations right at right at diagnosis. But for me, it, those conversations did happen, and I was given information like the same day of diagnosis. So I'm I'm probably later in, in I guess in the time frame of when people on this call were diagnosed. But because of that I felt very lucky. And so it's very sad to hear that. But I, I will say from my perspective, I just feel fortunate that it's not another layer, another item to worry about. I'm curious, what were what were the parts of the book that seared themselves in your memory? Hands down, the bone marrow biopsy. Because I've been through that, it was traumatic. It was the more, it was the most pain I've ever had. But the image of the doctor giving the bone marrow biopsy is going to stick with me. That's the first thing I think of when you say that, Shelly. For me, it was pretty much the very beginning. Like you said, when she was finding out, she was kind of like figuring her life out, and she was like kind of getting the hang of it. And her just saying, I remember saying the same thing as when I was working. I'm like, maybe I'm not cut out to be an adult. Because I remember thinking like getting super tired and having like a lot of naps. And then like she's figuring her things out. And then I'm like, oh my God, I know it's going to happen, but it still kind of hurts. And then when she finds out, I'm like, oh my God, that is painful. Like, it, I don't know. It just stuck with me. One of the little parts that stuck out to me is when she talked about your port never really being gone. It's weird because I feel like when I'm in the car still, the seatbelt's still weird for me to put on because I was so protective of when I was accessed or when I had a Brobiac or any of that stuff that like I can feel it like a phantom port pain. And I know it's not a severe, large port portion of the book, but like it, it, that's just something that always stick with me. And I, I can think of times when I'm in the car with people and they're like, well, why are you messing with your seatbelt so much? And I'm like, I feel like there's something there at all times. Um, so I think that's, one of the kind of funny but like weird parts of the book that sticks with me. I find that so like funny, Brady, because I actually decided after I got my port removed, I kept my port. So I actually have it like on my bookshelf. And every time someone comes to my house, they always ask me like, what is that? And I'm like, it's my port. I know that sounds so weird. But I always like, I don't know, every time I look at it, it just reminds me of like, how strong I really am and like how much I've been through. And it's just like not always the best memory, but now that like I've been through so much, it just brings me strength sometimes. I don't, it's so weird that it does, but that's what I look at it as. So I actually had an experience the, oh, maybe like last week or so 
I actually work at a nursing home and was, let me just start off by saying, okay, I know it's a stereotype. Aren't elderly people supposed to have bad sight? You'll, you'll understand when I tell the story. So I still have my port because they don't feel comfortable taking it out yet. And I, I don't know if I was like bending down to put something up or I was like close to some lady or whatever, but the lady was like, uh, what's under your shirt? And like, she was like pointing to where my port is like, it, it was like, it, it kind of like bulges out a little bit. And I was like, what, what's what? Like, I, like, I didn't know what she was talking about. And then she pointed to it when I was back up. She's like that. She's like, is your shirt wrinkled? I was like, yeah, j- j- just wrinkled. Cause like, I don't want to have that. I don't, I'm not having that conversation with like, no, no one else knows that in the place. So I don't know. It was kind of awkward. So for me, one thing that stood out was her talking about her hospital stay experiences and, you know, just being in isolation and what that was like. And Casey was lucky enough to mostly be on the pediatric side during his stays. But the few times that we were in the adult side, I felt like it just kind of brought me back to that room of his like first week of diagnosis and like sleeping on the bench in that room and that like tiny room with like no windows or light or anything. And it just feeling like you were completely isolated from the rest of the world. So when she was talking about that, it kind of made me think about when we would try to escape the room for 10 minutes just to go and walk and get some fresh air and Casey would, you know, bring his IV cart around with his like no slip socks and we would just like stretch in the hallway just to get out of the physical room whenever we could and like sneak away. So that's kind of something that still stands out to me there. But the children's side, you had you could stretch in your own room if you wanted to because it's just like three times bigger. So well for for comedic relief early on, like the I mean really early on, like two days into my diagnosis or something, Haley went to pick up Starbucks. Thanks the lid was like broken or I don't know, picked it up incorrectly. Anyways, spilled boiling hot coffee down her leg and got like burns. So that prompted like, you know, obviously a full, full on response there. And so for like a week or two after that, we were just kind of resting together. Haley was recovering from a burn and I was, I was in just starting treatment. So we were, we were a little bit of a hot mess the first, the first few weeks. But yeah, I think it's probably seared into our memory some of the experiences of, of being in the room. Two, two things, I guess, that stuck out to me. One was just like a funny, uh, something that I found funny that I don't know if other, like, I don't know if someone who had not been diagnosed with cancer would know. I thought it was an attempt to crack a joke, but she talked about like going through treatment and when she was in her hometown and walking into town. And she said something like, it's a 10 minute walk into town, 25 if you have leukemia. And I like, I audibly laughed at that. And I thought that might not, even register as humor to someone who doesn't understand but like i was like oh yeah that that very much is true so um just enjoyed small snippets like that and then a little bit more seriously one of the parts that i thought that i remember thinking about afterwards was she talks about like the facade of being someone who suffers well and over the long term it's like spiritually exhausting to just keep up the like good spirit cancer patient the whole time and I guess I was like, wow, that, that really, depending on the day, wear on you. Um, and so I, I have thought about that numerous times afterwards. I just have to say, it's so good to hear everybody's perspective from my point of view, because we don't always get to hear these things as nurses, but I just love the whole book. And I was so impressed with her and 
one of the things I think that stands out to me and that I see teens and young adults struggle with a lot is just going from being independent and being in that part of your life where you are just starting to become independent. And I look at her and I think, gosh, she was, you know, she was just starting off her life as a young woman and was living in Paris and just, you know, had been separated from her parents as you're supposed to do at that age. And then being put into this world where you are back being so dependent on your parents or her boyfriend. And I, I watch families struggle with that so much because that's not the part of your life where you're supposed to be back dependent on your parents. And so I kind of like to hear how you guys felt about that part of treatment. And I think, you know, I, th- I feel like her book was in two parts, you know, the treatment part and then the after part where she goes on the road trip. And I, you know, I, I loved that part. I loved her you know, seeking out all these people and trying to really kind of just get her life back and figure out what what life looks like right now and trying to, you know, even just time spent alone in such isolation and cabin in Vermont and just trying to figure out who she was then and and how scary that was for her to be somebody that had been so independent and then so dependent and then just afraid to do anything alone and how she really just embarked on that trip to kind of prove to herself that she can be independent alone again was just just really amazing to me so I was um I don't know if I'm one of the oldest in the group that was diagnosed at the at the oldest amount I was diagnosed at 29 so I'm an in-betweener and I know that I went from looking at houses doing wedding planning to having my partner pretty much do everything around the house And I know that that was really hard and having family members live far away during COVID and we do the amino compromise. We're like, no, you cannot be here. You cannot be in the house while this is going on. You have to limit. And that was really hard. But going from being, and I'm a very independent person. I don't like help. Um, I think that uh, being diagnosed has really made me say, get asked for help. You have to accept that things are where they are. I just want to point out that the writing was really good. I think she was really kind of honest in the way she wrote it. She wasn't like, hey, I'm a cancer patient. And I don't know, I feel like sometimes it's stereotyped that a cancer patient should be a certain way. And she kind of like throughout the book, she kind of had her own attitude. She was like, well, I'm like this. I get mad. I I do this. And I thought that was kind of cool because it was really honest. Would you like to share your thoughts or feedback with us? Email us at lifeonpause at pennstatehealth.psu.edu. Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. Ideas or suggestions for future episodes? Feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next time. time.